Well, uh, my intention when we're talking about the uh, processes that transform the believer, we talked about, of course, salvation and justification and adoption and redemption. It was my intention to do one message on sanctification. (laughs) This is number five. So either the Lord's been pouring out revelation or you're dirty. Amen. (laughs) Serious need. I'm going to prefer it's the revelation side. Amen. And so what we want to do is understand today, we've been going through the agents that God has provided in Scripture that sanctifies. We've talked, of course, about the love of the Father. We've talked about the blood of Jesus. We've talked about the Word of God. We've talked about the church as a sanctifying force. And today we're going to talk about the role of the believer. That means you and me, that we have a role in our own sanctification. But before we go further, just look at some scriptures here in 1 Peter chapter 1.15. Remind yourself that just as He who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Shout that out, all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. holy. Now, there are a lot of benefits to holiness. But the supreme reason to walk in holiness is because He is holy. And how many you ever read that scripture, be followers of God as dear children? Yes. If the Father is this way, then this is the way His children should act as well. Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. There's no great salvation, there's no great revelation without holiness and separation. Now remember that the word sanctify literally means to render holy or to separate from profane things and dedicate to God, to purify, to consecrate, to devote, to set apart from common to sacred use. And how many know there's a lot of profane stuff out there? The important thing is to understand what you do with these agents of sanctification in your own life so that you can gradually and continue to separate from sin in this world and separate unto your Heavenly Father for His good purpose, for His will in your life. Now, when you got born again, uh, sanctification is instantaneous in that sense, but it's also progressive. And I want you to understand that even though God has done everything He can do to sanctify us, Nothing will happen if it doesn't have your cooperation. You must cooperate with the sanctifying agents that God has provided. Think about it this way. You need to be holy in your thoughts. You need to be holy in your words. You need to be holy in your attitudes. And you need to be holy in your actions. And I would say, well, you're talking to the church, Pastor. Yeah, I know I'm talking to the church. I was just reading a a, a posting by Jeremiah Johnson, and the other day uh, he was in a service, and a young couple came up to him. Young, they weren't married; they're just young adult couple. And uh, he said, "We'd like you to bless our relationship." And being a person of the spirit, he said, "Are you sleeping together?" And they said, "Yes." And he said, "You need to repent. You need to separate." You need to honor God, and then I'll bless your relationship. Now watch this. We're talking about church folk. There's a reason why the church is slumbering around like the world, because the preachers no longer have the guts to call it out. And he said, this couple left immediately furious, turned at him, and both of them gave him the middle finger. Wanting the blessing. 
Are you here today? The believer has a role in this scripturally. It is not just sit back, light a candle, sing kumbaya, and shazam, you're going to go through the process of sanctification. It involves your active involvement in your life. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, we've talked a lot about this scripture, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He has put everything in order for us to continue to be sanctified but you and I have to recognize and partner with and cooperate with those agents. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, listen to this. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes and some for ignoble. And listen to this, who makes the decision in terms of noble or ignoble purposes? If a man cleanses himself. Come on, shout that out. If a man cleanses himself. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. You see, the Father, the blood, the Word, the Spirit, and the church give us the power to deal with the issues that are coming at us and to move forward in our sanctification. Listen to this again. Rodney read this. We'll read this again. Second, uh, Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly uh, passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself a people that are his very own, amen, eager to do what is good. Amen. How do you know when you're being sanctified? You're eager to think right, talk right, amen? Have a right attitude to do the right things because you're eager, because you have understood what he has done. In other words, this is a fancy way Paul's telling a spiritual son, the closer we get to him coming back, the cleaner we ought to be. And just the opposite is happening all over the body of Christ. The closer we get to superior, it seems like across the body of Christ, the dirtier people have gotten. And that's not a reflection on you personally, but it is a message to the entire body of Christ. We need to get our act straight. Amen. Amen. Are you here today? Listen to this again. For the grace of God, and you can think of these various agents as instruments of the grace of God for sanctification, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to say no. What that really means is it teaches us that we can say no. It teaches us that we have the authority to say no. Nancy Reagan did not come up with just say no. It teaches us that you have the dominion to say no to anything that goes contrary to God's clear word and his will. Say it with me. I have the power. Come on, shout it. I have the power, the dominion, the authority, the right, the ability to say no to ungodliness. 
And if that is true, and how many are Bible believers today? If we do not, it's because we chose not to. This is what I mean by the Father can make it plain, the blood can make it plain, the Word can make it plain, the church can make it plain. At the end of the day, you have to choose to agree with the agents of sanctification and say no. It's just not fancy. Well, it teaches us, you know, to say no. It teaches you, you can now say no. You could not do that before conversion. Before you were saved, you were propelled to do the opposite. You couldn't do anything but what was ungodly. But now you have the ability to do it, but you must choose with your own will to yield to that influence instead of the one that propelled you all the days of your life in the wrong direction. We serve a good God, don't we, church? That's the foundation of the message that the believer has a role to play in sanctification. This is what Paul said in Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, who's supposed to put it to death? Amen. We need to have a funeral. For some things in our life that we've allowed. Amen. And uh, here's a tip. When you bury them, don't resurrect them. Leave them in the hole. <laughs> Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. Romans 6.19, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Say it with me, it's God's will that I be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans or the heathen who do not know God. This is how the heathen act. This is how the pagans act. This is how those that don't know Christ act. This is how unbelievers act. We ought to be different. Amen. Amen. Unapologetically different. Amen. I said unapologetically different. Kelly was telling me about something she saw on, on social media, and this happened in somewhere in our particular community somewhere. There's a young man completely messed up in terms of his morality and his identity and his sexuality, and the church that they were raised in, a leader, several leaders, and a pastor went to go and talk lovingly to this young man, and he didn't happen to be there. But instead of seeing the love of God in action, a church operating like it should act, Telling somebody in this pagan world we live in, there's a right way to live and a wrong way to live. Instead of receiving that, she came out swinging against that church, vilifying those people. That's not what God would do. All the folks on the Facebook, everybody out there in La La Land chiming in, that's not love. God is love. Judge not. That's the mantra today. Let me tell you what love is. Love is doing everything you can to keep a young man from going to hell. I applaud that church. I don't know who it is, but if I knew who they were, I'd call that pastor up and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. You're willing to take it on the chin even publicly to do what is right. Amen. 
That was not ungodly. It is not unloving. It's not unkind. It's exactly what should have happened, and it ha- needs to happen more and more and more. Amen. Now I'll tell you a story that happened years ago in this church. When I came here after a few years, I had, um, within a short amount of time, I had one man who was arrested for stealing from a nonprofit organization. He was a leader. Had another man went to go pray for a man with cancer and walked out the door with a morphine that was in his bathroom. I had another one step out on his wife. All this happened within a few months. I'm like, God, what's up with that? Oh, we must be the, you know, the worst place on earth. But the Holy Ghost said through a powerful message that Gloria Copeland gave one day, that the closer you get to the glory, the more it exposes. In other words, sanctification. And this man decided to step on his wife. He was going to put her away. And I'll tell you what happened. About three, four board members and myself went to his house and said, this is not what you need to be doing. We love you. We're all behind you. We're your brothers. But you need to do whatever is necessary to be restored and reconciled to this person. And... Uh, Was he glad to see you? Are you kidding me? Would you be glad to see me? Hey, the pastor's here to talk about your adultery. Can he come in? (laughs) We have all the fun. No, he wasn't happy at all. But I will tell you this. He did stop what he was doing. Amen. He moved towards restoration. And he was married until his wife went home to be with the Lord. It's not easy. But don't go telling somebody they're not walking in love because they're just simply presenting you the word of God and the standard. This reflex out there of God doesn't do that and God is love and God is tolerant and and you shouldn't judge is completely ripped out of its context and its understanding. We are called to exhort one another. Encourage one another. Hold one another accountable when necessary. In the love of God. That's broken down the church because everybody, every time Dick and Harry, every pastor it seems, every leader is afraid to say what needs to be said for fear they're going to be labeled judgmental, amen, intolerant, or a bigot or something else. You're not a bigot if you hold to the truth. You're just faithful. Say it, I'm faithful. Come on, say it again, I am faithful. One more time. Say, I'm faithful. The only people Leonard Ravenhill said who want to change the gospel are those who are unchanged by it. That is prophetic for our day. Let me read it again for you. Leonard Ravenhill, the only people who want to change the gospel are those who are unchanged by it. I'm not going to change. I'm going to change the gospel. It's interesting that the very first message Jesus preached was not, go ye therefore and be tolerant. It was repent. Say repent three times. Say it again forcefully. Say repent. In other words, the love of God is not, you know, looking away from everything that's wrong. It's speaking the truth in love. 
How many know there is a heaven again? Anybody excited about going there one day? You don't necessarily, you don't necessarily want to go there today, but I mean, you should want to live out your purpose on this earth, live out your days, and do what you're called to do. But one day, everybody say one day, and and by the coming of the Lord, one day we're all going to be together. It's a wonderful place, and as wonderful that place is, there's a place that was created for the devil and those that followed him, and it's very real. And you have people today in and out of the church that uh, seem to think that, that laws don't apply to them. Go to the tallest building on Murray State's campus and uh, throw yourself off and say to yourself all the way down, I don't believe in that gravity thing. I don't believe in that gravity thing. I don't believe in that gravity thing. And, uh, you know, that's going to last a few seconds. And then unfortunately, you know, the maintenance staff's going to have to come and, and scoop you up. And when I was a college student, that actually happened. You know, I could hand you a bottle of strychnine and you can say that my faith, I don't, I don't believe like you, I don't believe that this bottle will kill me. I don't believe that if I drink this, it'll kill me. But go ahead and drink it, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Your personal perspective and your belief system does not change the truth. And scream all day long, judge me not, judge me not. God is love, God is love. You're right, God is love. But God is also holy. Come on, say God God. is holy. And we can't be afraid, amen, to pursue what he told us to pursue. And we can't be afraid to be known as people like that. Amen. Why is this message necessary to wrap up this particular part of our series? Why the believer's role of sanctification? Because sanctification is not just something that happens to you. It's something that happens with you. And it does not happen without you. Say it with me. I receive God's mandate to be holy, to be sanctified in body, soul, and spirit. So I wanted to wrap this up today by giving you what that looks like, the believer's role in sanctification. First of all, and you want to write this down, realize that change is the goal. Change. Shout that out. Change. Come on, say it again. Change. Shout it out one more time. Change. Change is the goal, not religion, not participation. The essence of, trans, of, of sanctification is the ongoing and progressive change of the believer. If I'm not changing, I'm not progressing in sanctification. Too much of the modern church's goal is attendance. And many dare not push the envelope on these processes, lest their attendance go down. It's not attendance that's the goal. It's change. That should be the goal of every Sunday school teacher, every preacher, every leader, every small group. It is not about attendance. It's not about programs. It's not about looking big or looking good. It's about change. 
And from coast to coast, our churches are filled with people who are not changing. It's a concern to me if you can go into some house of worship and live like the devil and never feel conviction for doing so. You say people will do that? They will, and they will avoid churches where the presence of God is thick because he always comes with conviction. You can't go to a spirit-filled church and live, amen, like a harlot. You can't. You can't go to a spirit-filled word church without coming into some kind of what? Conviction, not condemnation. But the entire motivation these days is how big we can be, how much money can there be, how many programs can there be, how well-known can you be. Last time I checked, it was about making Jesus well-known. Last time I checked, it was about making the kingdom of God large. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but in the world we live in today, folks, especially Americans, don't be told what to do, how to do it, where to go, what to be. Which is exactly what we need. Exactly. Amen. Amen. It's change. If you're still thinking the same way you did, talking the same way you did, having the same attitudes you had, doing the same things you used to do before you came to Christ, then it's not sanctification you're going through. Listen to me, you're not changing, so you're not going through sanctification. Amen. Say it with my number one goal from now on is to change in him. Transformed from one form to another. Amen. Say it one more time. Realize change is the goal. How many of you got some things that he's working on still? But how many can say that you're not the same? Raise your hand and say, I'm not the same. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progressing in your sanctification. One of the reasons why you're not going to be perfect is because the Holy Ghost hasn't even gotten around to everything that's wrong with you. Come on, everybody say truth. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I couldn't handle him throwing everything that's wrong at me all at one time. Easy stages is how he led Israel. Amen? Here little, there little. <laughs> we couldn't handle it. But I, do, I tell you what he does expect me and you to do. He does expect you and me to sanctify those areas that have been revealed to us and what are clear in the word of God. And I'm sorry, but it's clear. Human sexuality is clear. Marriage is clear. Morality is clear. Hallelujah. But if you think back and you've been letting him do this in your life, you can point to things that, man, some of the things you used to be in. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Yes. Are you here today? Yes. 
Aren't you glad? He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. From now on, just just throw all the Western ideas about what expectations are in relationship to Christianity and just ask yourself one question at the end of every day. Did I change some more today? And if you did, you're on the right track. Hallelujah. Come on, say it with me. The the goal goal is is change. Fundamental to sanctification is change. Amen. Glory to God. Let me give you the second one here. And I know we're getting ready to dump some people. My list says nine people following the Lord in baptism today. We're going we're to dunk them all, amen. But first, I'm going to double dunk you in the Word, if that's okay. Number two, understand the reward of sanctification. Understand the reward of sanctification. I'm going to read this to you from Psalm 19. I consider this to be a a psalm of sanctification. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. In other words, the creation of God itself is, is saying something, communicating something. What, what is the creation communicating? Verse 7, this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Say that with me. With sanctification is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Come on, say it. Great reward. So he had great reward. I never heard that before, Pastor. The Word of God promises reward to those who will go through the process of sanctification. The more you become like Him, the greater the reward you can see in this life. Don't paint this ugly picture, negative thing about holiness. Oh, as it comes to that, we got to be holy. No, you get to be holy. Amen. And you get to enjoy the reward of being a holy person. Say, so what are those rewards? Well, just real simply, I'll give them to you. In broad categories, it includes optimal power in your life. We need Christians today walking in power. Holiness 
will charge your battery. Wickedness will drain you dry. Anybody here need a little more power in their life? Power in their marriage. Power in their workplace. Power in their ministry. Optimal power comes from sanctification. Number two today. Optimal promises. I don't know about you, but I'm going to see more of the promises of God realized. How many of y'all believe the promises of God are yes and are amen? I'm telling you that the more you walk down this road, the more you're going to see the promises of God come to pass in your life. It's not about you earning anything. It is the Father. It is the blood. It is the Word. It is the Spirit. It is the church. But if you agree and you come into agreement with and cooperate with those forces, you're going to see more and more of the promises of God operating in your life. And there's a reason for that. Number three, optimal persuasion. We need to start influencing this world more than they're influencing us. I'm sorry, but somebody that's running around naked on Instagram gets $2 million for a post is not an influencer. Are you here today? That's a bubblehead with an iPhone. You're the ones that are supposed to be the influencers. But it's hard to influence when we look just like them. Influence them from what? There's a, there's a method today of, of church growth that says, be like them to reach them. No, you be like Jesus. That's the call. And we've never needed people of God to walk in influence so they can influence family and influence people in the workplace. Work, you know, influence people where they go to school. Influence people where you vacation. I'm telling you that the more holy you become, the more sanctified you become, the more influence you're going to have with this world for the right reasons. Take with me. I have optimal power, optimal promises, optimal influence. And last, optimal privileges. Amen. You ever have your parent, when you were a kid, take away your privileges? <laughs> Amen. Uh, you need to understand that the further you walk down this path, you're going to have doors open for you that you've never seen open before. He's trusted you with little, now he can trust you with much. Come on, say, he can trust me. Say so he can trust me. Optimal privileges. Use you in ways you never dreamed of before. Because you are qualified. Because you are separated. Because you are sanctified. Because you are consecrated. Amen. There's great reward. Come on, say it today. I am laying hold of my reward. The power of God. The promises of God. The privilege of God. Say it with me. The persuasion of God. Can you see this today? I don't understand why he would do that. He's God. He can do what he wants to do. You know, he doesn't have to reward me. He doesn't have to do anything, but he's chosen to reward you. And let me explain it to you in simple terms. When you allow yourself to be sanctified, when you're walking in holiness, you are honoring God. When you honor God, God will honor you. 
Amen. It is an honorable thing to walk in the light that you have. Amen. It honors him. Number one, realize that change is, in fact, the goal. Number two, understand the reward of sanctification. Number three, be honest about your true condition. Stop rationalizing what the convicting spirit of God is telling you is wrong. Well, that's not that bad. Everybody seems to be doing it. Seems to be the culture today. It's the church today. No, uh, God's about to immerse his church in a level and degree of holiness that he uh, hadn't seen in this country in hundreds of years. And you and I have to be willing to realize that uh, if we rationalize everything away in our lives, we'll never get there. Right. Amen. You're judging me. You're judging me. All that is is a tool of rationalization. I want you to all say it with me. When you hear, you're judging me, you just heard rationalization. You just don't want to be the one using that language. Today, people have a pre-canned response whenever they're challenged by God's love and God's word. And that is to say, well, God is love and you are judging me. No. It's the word of God that judges all of us. And one of the things we do to suspend our sanctification is to rationalize the things that God has convicted us about. Amen. <laughs> we all have stories like that. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have a rationalization story. All right, who wants to share? Come on up here. <laughs> I'll share one of mine then. Just one, Pastor. <laughs> um, I was I was just born again, just spirit-filled, but every year in, in September, um, and my mom and I particularly love to do this, we go to the Duquoin State Fairgrounds. And uh, for years, they ran a harness uh, competition, horses called the Hamiltonian. Um, Hamiltonian eventually moved, a huge, huge, huge purse winnings. And the Hamiltonian... Uh, eventually moved to back to New Jersey, and then the Illinois governor set up a new race called the World Trotting Derby right there in Decoy. And so, uh, you know, we would place these little penny ante bets, you know, at the window. And uh, I had my eye on this, this horse that came over from Europe. It was called TV Yankee. Even the name was cool. And so I go up to the window, put a little $2 bet down, and I'm holding TV Yankee, and uh, they get to the post, and they start the, <laughs> they start the race. And uh, he pulls to a very quick seventh or eighth. I remember he placed last. Everybody say last. Yes. Now, the way the World Trotting Derby works, the same way the Hamiltonian works, you have to win two of the three heats you're in. So the further this goes in the day, the more likely it is that champions now of the different heats are racing against each other. So the second heat comes up, there's been no champion yet, and guess who's in that race? TV Yankee. Undaunted. Yes, a march up there, he's going to win. He's going to win it all. Post time, opens up the gate, horses are running. Last place. 
Undaunted. Still no winner. Champions in the heat. TV Yankee happens to be in that heat as well. By now, it's not just my foolishness. I now talk my dad into my foolishness. <laughs> and he puts a $20 bill down on this horse to win. Notice you already have champion heats in there. and There's me. <laughs> he puts that down. I put mine down. Undaunted. TV Yankee's going to do it. Like 20 seconds before post time, up on the board, TV Yankee scratched. And at that moment, everybody say that moment. Everybody say that moment. The Holy Ghost said, you have more confidence in that dumb horse than you do me. Ask me if I ever placed another bet on a horse. Are you here today? You mean he, does he care about stuff like that? He cares what he cares about and when he's talking to you about something. Amen. But how, how much of that is so true in our lives? We'll bet over and over and over again on people, on things, on circumstances, and don't trust God for the result. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, stop rationalizing. Stop. Your convictions. Say it one more time. Stop, stop. rationalizing stop. your convictions. Listen to what he says. Amen. Of course, the rest of that story is there's another horse called Greenspeed. And guess who betted on Greenspeed? And guess who won the whole thing? Greenspeed. Pastor, is your mom really that much of a mixed bag? You don't know the half. The half has not been told. <laughs> Amen. Say it with me. Realize. Realize. Change is the goal. The goal. Understand. Understand. There's a reward for sanctification. sanctification. Say this with me. Be honest, Be honest about, your about your true condition. Lying to yourself isn't going to help your sanctification. I'm not that bad. I'm not that, it's not about being bad or horrible. It's about listening to what the Word and the Spirit of God are telling you. And responding with graciousness, amen, and humility in your life. Last number four here, cooperate daily with the agents of sanctification in your life. What I mean by this is your sanctification now is a decision. The bottom line is that sanctification, despite the power of the agents available to us in Scripture, requires our cooperation. No cooperation, there will be very little sanctification in your life. You must decide to do that. With temptations all around us, we should be actively applying the agents of sanctification every single day. The Father, the Blood, the Word, the Spirit, and the Church today in our lives sanctifies us. And what you and I need to do is make sure that we are allowing things in our life that are sanctification positive. Listen carefully. As agents of sanctification, they work together with our consent. Say that with me, our consent. Say it with me, our consent. Our agreement. But if you want to, you can be indifferent to those. Hardened to those, insensitive to those. 
Think of it this way. You know, the Father and His love is a great sanctifying force. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But I've known people in and out of the church that, you know, the more God does, it seems it has no impact on them. And the love of God should, what, constrain us, should result in us wanting to be more like Him. Amen? Say He's good and loving. Say He's good to me. He's kind to me. In other words, every time you see Him do something else, you say, you know what, I just want to walk a little closer with you. I just want to walk in more purity with you. I want to be more consecrated than I've ever been because of your love, because of your goodness. You know what? If we're not uh, careful, we can just ignore the power of the blood. It's not just the blood that covers you when you sin. The blood has the power what? To prevent you from sinning in the first place. If you'll plead it. Next time you're tempted, plead the blood of Jesus. Don't be ignorant of the force of the blood in your life. How many are glad the blood is there when you blow it? Have you ever needed the blood before? Raise your hand. Have you ever needed the blood to cover, to cleanse? Amen. Yes. You cry out to him. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. But that doesn't mean that you have to go around every day walking in impurity. That blood that cleanses also prevents. Come on, say it. The blood is a preventer of sin. Not just an atoner of it. You could say, well, you know, I, I, I appreciate the word of God. I thank God for the word of God. I like hearing the word preached. Praise the Lord. You could have an attitude and be ambivalent about that. Or you could say, you know what? I'm going to expose myself to the word consistently more than I ever have before. Immersion. Immerse yourself in the word of God. So that the word of God actually is doing what it's designed to do. Separating you from things. And separating you unto God. And my goodness. I mean we have all these, all these assets. All these wonderful gifts. Amen. I mean he alluded to translations on the Bible. I don't care which one you read. As long as it's you know, you know accurate in terms of the original autographs. But the bottom line is read one of them. Amen. Amen. And let it sanctify you. You don't realize this, that every time you spend time in the Word of God, it is actively separating you from things. Not only will, listen carefully, not only will you stop doing certain things, you'll start to lose the desire for certain things. But the Word is not going to jump on you and make you. Amen. You're going to read me today. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to pick it up. Amen. You're going to have to read it, meditate upon it, memorize it, and let it come out of your mouth like when the devil comes after you, like he came after Jesus. You shoot the Word of God out like a gun and you're victorious. But you can't fire a gun you haven't loaded. And bang, bang, won't scare the devil away. Amen. <laughs> Thank God for the Holy Ghost. I mean, you know, he does convict us of sin. Yes, but if you listen to the Holy Ghost, he'll talk to you before you sin. He does. He says things like, I mean, really wild things like, don't do it. And, and stop. Am I right about it? 
And how about this one? Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. But he's a gentleman. He's never going to show up and put duct tape over your mouth. That's your job. But he's a sanctifying force, separating you from things. And what will happen is, even before you do it, his word will go forth into your heart to tell you, you need to knock that off or you need to avoid that influence in your life. Aren't you glad for it? But if you're not fellowshipping with the Holy Ghost, if you're not in tune with him, not listening to him, it's just not possible. Amen. The agency of the Holy Spirit as a sanctifier is there every single day. Last today, the church is a sanctifying force in your life. Say it, the church. For those that didn't hear this, what happens when you come together as a body, there's a corporate anointing. The power is there to change. Say it to me right now. There's power to change. You know, that's one of the reasons why the devil tried to destroy through COVID the church of Jesus Christ all over the world. Because when you gather, there is a corporate effect there that he can't stand. He's really not bothered if you sit there and get your church online. When you come together, there's a corporate anointing with power to change. There's corporate fellowship where we have an encouragement to change. There's corporate worship where God deposits a hunger in your life for change. As you worship him, as you sing about Jesus, and you sing about gold and silver and the things of this world, once you've tasted of him, nothing else satisfies. You begin to walk out of here with a desire for him instead of that sin. There is corporate conviction, details and clarity of what you need to change. I've been this long enough to know that God can get you on the first song. He can get you on the last song. He can get you at offering time. Amen. I mean, there are some folks convicted over what they do with their finances, and I mean, they just stop and they they resist and they reject and they resist and they reject. And I'll tell you, you all have heard some of the finest financial, biblically balanced, you know, exhortations in any church anywhere in the country. Stop resisting what God is telling you. There's a corporate anointing. And the Spirit of God is moving during the worship, while the Word is going on. There's all kinds of things that can happen. In His will and His design, He can do it whenever He wants to do it. Amen. There's corporate prayer, or His agreement to change. I mentioned this Wednesday night, but we prayed for Mr. Snyder. I'm still praying for him. And I asked some gentlemen to pray with me, and I prayed. And then I asked you all to get into agreement. It's not just corporate prayer meetings where people are running around praying all the time. It's the effect of corporate prayer where if I prayed for him on a Monday, that's me. Or if I had four or five men pray with me, that's a small group. But last Sunday, the entire room released their faith for his healing at one time. Don't ever underestimate the power of a prayer that went forth in church. Don't ever underestimate the power of a prayer that went forth in church. Don't ever underestimate the power of a prayer that went forth in church. Never. There is more going on than you can possibly understand. For those of you who thought that prayer was just an interlude onto the next thing. Long or short, 
personal needs or physical needs, praying for the country or praying for your neighbor, it's powerful. Corporate encouragement where we spur one another on to love and good works. It means we go at each other. Amen. Hallelujah. Corporate accountability. When we what? Or off the map doing something wrong. Somebody lovingly says, hey, I haven't seen you. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on with your life? Hey, can I help you? And we should feel comfortable asking hard questions as well as receiving answers to those questions. Say it with me. There's a corporate thing. When we come together. Say it with me. The church is a sanctifier. When you come together and take Holy Communion, do you know that's sanctifying you? You know as well as I do that one of the first things we do at communion time is to search ourselves. That's a sanctifying moment. Are you here today? And that's why God's commissioned us to be a lot more regularly with it. You know, on the first Sunday it's there, but you can actually do this at home. What am I doing? It's redemptive. It reminds you of your redemption. It reminds you of what he did, but it also sanctifies you. In a moment, we're going to baptize some folks. We don't get saved by taking communion. We don't get saved by being baptized. But saved people get baptized, and saved people partake of communion. You understand this? And can I tell you something? Make it a public profession of your faith opens up the door to further sanctification in somebody's life. He's welcome to do whatever he wants to do. I will tell you this authoritatively. People that consent to public baptism walk out of that baptistry more than just wet. And they will today. But the challenge for you to understand today is this. Not everything you are involved in will sanctify you. And some things will actually desanctify you. I'm telling you that being in Sunday morning service is a sanctifying event. Being at Bible study on Wednesday night is a sanctifying event. Having your kids in youth, that's a sanctifying event for them. Having them in Sunday school, it sanctifies them. Having them on youth trips is a sanctifying event for them. Coming to prayer meeting is a sanctifying event. Getting involved with the ministry is a sanctifying event. But listen to me well. There are things that we do in addition to the church life which are fine. But when you start replacing things in church life with other things, you need to understand you're choosing things that do not sanctify over things that do sanctify. I'm sorry, but your soccer league does not sanctify your child. I was a swimmer. It never sanctified me. In a lot of cases, it did just the opposite to me. When I was 11 and went up to University Iowa, turned 12 up there for an intensive swimming 11 miles a day, look at somebody and say, that's a lot of miles. I'm talking about in the water. And I'm hanging around University of Iowa college students who are just a little bit worse than sailors. <laughs> and I came home with some additional language. 
And I said, uh, blankety blank this and blankety blank that and blankety blank this. And I uh, think of some of the worst kids, that, you know, worst words that come out of a kid's mouth. And I was saying them. And worst of all, I wasn't even conscious because it came normal. Just 30, 45 days with these guys. And it was as normal as, as, as pie just to talk that way. But not in mom and dad's house. <laughs> <laughs> No. And, and here's the irony. I have two older brothers and a sister, and I never told on them about anything. And do you know what all three of those rascals did? They went to mommy. Did you hear what Art said? What did he say? What? The worst part wasn't being corrected. The worst part wasn't being rebuked. At 12 years old, I was sitting on the bed, and my dad took this as an opportunity to talk to me embarrassingly about the birds and the bees. <laughs> now, Art, when uh, that word you used, uh, well, that's, that's not the right word for it, but uh, you know, when a man and a woman love each other and they get married, I'm going, oh, God! God! I'll never say it again. <laughs> Just... Don't let that ever happen again, ever. And you know what? He was more uncomfortable than I was. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And some of you are going right now, I wonder what word you were talking about. You got all these opportunities for yourself and the kids. And the modern church, every time they turn around, they choose the non-sanctifying event over the sanctifying event. It is not just kids' church. Those kids are being sanctified over there. It's not just service today. You're being sanctified in this place. It is not just a youth retreat. They're being sanctified during that time. And with everything bombarding them right now, there ought not be anybody in my hearing, grandparent with grandparent with grandkid, or you're in charge of a youth, that should not be taking advantage of what God offers you to sanctify these kids. And you can come up with all the reasons you want to, but one day it's not going to wash. Recently somebody came up to Doc Barkley, I think it was Tyler, telling me this, and he said, pray for my teenagers. They're just run amok. They're just off the wall. And, and, and you know, I, I raised them in church. And Dr. Buckley said, stop. You did not raise them up in the nurture and admonition. Of the Lord. I am not going to let you lie in my face. You taught them to put everything else above the things of God. Now, I'll pray for you, but it's in praying that there'll be repentance there and restoration. Now, you have to understand something that that we make choices every single day. And some of them are sanctification positive. Some are neutral. It's not a big deal, but it's not sanctifying you. And some are absolutely, you know, sanctification negative. Make some changes. Turn to somebody and tell them, make some changes. Say it again, make some changes. Say it again, say make some changes. When you're involved with some prayer meeting or some outreach, it's a sanctifying thing. Amen. That's why at the end of this, we just simply say to you that this is nothing more than a decision. You're deciding whether you're going to move forward in sanctification 
or not? Say it with me. I'm deciding to be sanctified in Jesus' name. Say it boldly. I'm deciding to be sanctified. Say, I believe the love of God. I apply the blood. Say it. I immerse myself in the word. I listen to the Holy Spirit. And I stay connected to the local church. Why? Because there's nothing else going on anywhere today that's more sanctifying than what you're doing right now. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? That was part five of Transform by Sanctification. Amen. Praise the Lord. We really are affected by the environments that we hang out in. Iron sharpeneth iron. Bad company corrupts good character. I want you just to stand to your feet.